1: Welcome to Alouette's Flight Deck, podcast dedicated to Montreal Alouette's football. I am your host, Tim Kapper, along with the bow duke to my loop duke, Cliffy D. Welcome, sir. Yeehaw! Yeehaw, indeed. I like it. Now, I told you, Cliff, even though we're on a podcast and nobody can see what you're wearing, I did not give you approval to wear your Daisy Dukes. Man, don't tell me how how to live. Yeah, I saw you on Skype before, dude, my eyes are blind. Just you just got to drink in all of this, oh, yeah. man. <laughs> uh, okay. Man, these, I, these shorts are caliente. Oh Jesus, God! I I had to ask what which which was the, the the better Daisy Duke, Catherine Bach or who was it in the reboot? <laughs> Jessica Simpson. Yeah, Jessica Simpson. Who's the better Daisy Duke?
2: Oh, oh, the better Daisy Duke was without question Catherine Bach. Yeah, but uh, yeah, I'll give you that I one mean. Too. I mean, Je- I- I'm not mad at Jessica Simpson and Daisy Dukes either. Like, let's, let's, let's let's be clear on this. Like, yeah, she did.
1: Yeah, she did. Yeah, she did. Yeah, they tried to do everything they could with that movie, that, that reboot. I'm sorry, most everybody who's younger than 20, 25, if they did mm-hmm. see the reboot for the Dukes of Hazzard, they were like, what? Because that wasn't the, was the Dukes of Hazzard that we...
2: No, 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 no. And uh, even they, they even had the great Burt Reynolds as Boss Hog, rest oh, yeah. in peace.
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. Didn't you know you're not supposed to win rights after Labor Day? Yeah, but hey, hey! If, if we're old enough that we can remember not only Bo and Luke Duke, but Coy and Vance Duke, Ugh, it's not so much that we're old
2: enough to remember; it's that we don't want to remember. <laughs> they didn't just jump the shark; they flew right the hell over it.
1: They had to. You don't remember? Oh, yeah. you, you remember the circumstances?
2: Yes, yes, Ra- yes. Rider
1: strike. They had to. Oh man! Or it was a, a, a contract tip. Uh, whatever.
2: Contract dispute, and they thought, "Oh, we'll just put any two uh, good-looking guys in uh, tight yeah, jeans yeah. and the General Lee,
1: and you know that'll work." No, that'll no, work. no, no, hard, no, 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 not even, no, no. That's that's like Willie Nelson playing Uncle Jesse.
2: <clears throat> uh, well, that was interesting.
1: But, uh, yeah, but a, uh, but it was like pot-smoking Uncle Jesse. It's, he was, you know, it wasn't the same. At, at least I, I wish I remember the actor's name who played the original Uncle Jesse, but he a uh, way more class, way more mm-hmm. class. But uh, uh, those damn Duke boys. But I digress. <laughs> I was trying to find a, some way to swag segueing using the Duke boys into the into the game this past week. But uh, uh, you know, just like the uh, just like the Duke boys, it's like trying to fly the trying to jump the General Lee over the nearest creek. Most of the time it happens, but you st- you usually don't, you just don't get to see the damage that occurs afterwards. Ha-ha! that was nice.
2: Actually, I was going to say they could have used Cooter to come with the. Uh the tow truck and, you know, save them. But.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, um, Johnny, this Mantel- is by
2: the way, my favorite, my favorite episode of the season so far.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Johnny Mantell starts his third game for the Alouettes and they didn't think the game, the game had its moments, the game, uh, and, you know, compared to what happened before, the game had its moments. You know, Johnny got his start. But the problem is, is that a lot of this, you know, the more things change, just like the Owls this year, the more things things change, the more things stay the same.
2: Mm-hmm. You yeah, know? you're just basically rearranging deck chairs at this point.
1: Yes. So
2: Because because the, the one thing that stood out more than anything else is just the lack of overall effort. Like, you saw bits and pieces of brilliance, but that's it. I mean, and I've said in the past that that pretty much is what I've come to see from Johnny Manziel is that uh, you get one or two moments of, Oh my God, he just did that to eh, nothing. And that's, that was pretty much the Alouettes, the entire game this past Friday was yeah. a couple of moments that, you know, made you stand up and take notice and then pff,
1: fall flat. Uh, other than the Johnny Manziel just caught the Alouettes longest pass completion of the game to mm. Johnny Manziel. Uh, once again, like most quarterbacks so far, this year for the Owls have not thrown a touchdown pass. By the way, I think one of the most leading, misleading uh, titles to a story was, I think it was Manziel gets roughed up versus Winnipeg. And I think it was mostly talking about his INT. It was a picture with the INT, INT interception. Yeah. And I'm like, that's so false news, man. That's fake. That's not true at all. Not true at all. You know, it, no. ca- it came in late. You know, it's funny, two weeks in a row, what, what have we said about late touchdowns, uh, late interceptions? Yep. So.
2: Yeah, I mean, that that pretty much put the icing on the cake as far as that, but no, yes. it, that does not tell the entire story. No, exactly. You're absolutely right.
1: Like, Yeah, I know. So, um, yeah, we got a lot to talk about this week besides this. A uh, couple minutes, we are actually going to be having uh, Rod Peterson, the voice of the of Riders, join us. We're going to talk Riders, Owls, in a little bit. Uh Manzel uh 18 to 25 212 yards no touchdowns one INT Eugene Lewis did that one pass to, to Johnny Football one of one for 22 and, and by the way it was nice I'm trying to remember the last time we saw a real gadget play for the owls it's been a while and can I just say yeah once again
2: Eugene Lewis with a crazy play in Winnipeg yeah. Oh yeah stop, you're right Stop me if
1: I've heard this if you've heard this before Hey, I, I'll cover I'll over that many a time I don't care man I don't care that, that's, that's that's fine by me um, do we, the, the Adl- we call that
2: do we call that the Montreal
1: special could- he's <laughs> something you gotta try it's called it something uh I think we Guialo- aowitz <laughs> Guialo- also had the most rushing attempts that they've had in well, at least this year I know that that much I mean it was a grand total of uh, 18 20 24 rushes can't complain
2: nope not at all you know, sta- that, uh- st-
1: stand back got uh, 12 rushes for 71. Manziel, six for 36. Uh, Stone got a three for 11. They even threw in Pipkin because he came in. He got the one touchdown
2: rushing. He did He did run for that touchdown. Yeah.
1: And BJ, on one of the plays that we've been seeing for quite a bit this year with BJ coming um, coming from the far side around, it, it didn't work at all.
2: No, if you're going to use the jet sweep, you got to use it properly. And that was just, it was way too telegraphed. And yeah. the, the, the Bombers defense saw that a mile away.
1: It did, and uh, receiver wise, uh, Adarius Bowman he got the most targets. The funny thing is, I think the first three, first three were, first three passes of the game I think were to Darius and they were targeted, but none of them were catches. Nope. <laughs> it, just, it just just seemed how the game was going. Uh, leading receiver was e- Eugene Lewis, uh, four, uh, four receptions, sixty three yards. Bowman had fifty five. Ejack had uh, hey three targets, three receptions. Wah wah wah. Thirty-nine yards. Standback got into the groove too, and this is where, by the way, standback doing what he did. And this is this is going to go into what we're going to talk about in a little bit too. That's that's telling. That's a positive. That's what I like to see uh, from our running back. Uh, he had thirty-five yards. Manzel had that one reception for twenty-two. Uh, <laughs> BJ only had two receptions on three targets for fifteen, and then Ryder Stone one for one for five. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, it's. You know, Matt Nichols. I don't know. It was what really was the besides obviously besides Winnipeg scoring a late touchdown. What really did the Alouettes in this game? I mean, besides again the O line not doing squat and not having any protection.
2: I think you could have put six cardboard cutouts in front of Johnny Manziel, and they would have given better protection than what our O line did.
1: Splinters. No, it had to be wood because then they get splinters. And God forbid, <laughs> can you, you? Do you know how much how much D linemen cry when they get a splinter? <clears throat> it's crazy. Got to get them their <laughs> Neosporin. You know, just go. It stings. Um, no, I agree with you though. I agree. I mean, it's it's just ridiculous. Uh, the, the Alouettes gave up way too many sacks again. And by the way, it's still. You know, still with with the amount of sacks, uh, is it Rowe for yeah for, for Winnipeg getting in? He got the best line in so far this year in a halftime <laughs> interview. <laughs>
2: and it, it set the Twitter world a buzz oh, just the way he man. came out with it. It was, uh, yeah. And what can you say? It's true. I mean, I'm and I I, I even joked that uh, this is the story he's going to tell his grandkids when he's older is yeah. that uh he he sacked a, a guy with a million followers on instagram <laughs> yeah
1: he'll, and he'll say who who's who that granddaddy johnny uh johnny menzel who <laughs> I, i'll i'll leave that comment where it where it lies <laughs> uh i mean the good thing for the alouettes i mean besides that i mean it, it you know andrew harris goes out uh that helps us uh, immensely uh they lose quite a few other players too that really helped us too but it's the Owls stayed in this game. It's just that once they got behind, they just really weren't able to catch up. And I think one of the other biggest things too for the Alouettes, Cliff, was just the the penalties themselves were absolutely disgusting. I mean, we weren't talking we weren't talking at what it was. I think in the was it the BC game where it was something like 150 yards, I think, or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, or was that Edmonton? E- either way, the Owls the Owls Winnipeg uh, head count when it came to the penalties was 11 to two, which is a huge sign in it you know it's a sign in itself
2: yeah it, it's a very telling story for sure and, it's uh,
1: yeah but time of possession it i mean it's as if the, the owls were in this game i mean the stats would say that they were in this game because the owls did literally take control of everything except for the scoreboard mm-hmm. no
2: a couple more things had they fallen the Alouettes way this would definitely be a, a completely different story and you're absolutely right It'd be, at one point, the Winnipeg Blue Bombers lost Andrew Harris, uh, Nick Dembski, Adam Big Hill. I mean, these these are their key guys as yeah. far as offense and defense goes. Like, these are the the names, if you will, that, that people know. And you take those guys out of the game, it should affect the game dramatically. But I think the biggest thing was Matt Nichols. Like, he has been so shaky the past four games. And he needed to get back in a big way. And one could almost make the argument that... You know, playing the Alouettes, thats what's going to take for you to get your groove back—is just to molly-wop on them a little bit, and that's exactly what Matt Nichols did. Like he looked like the Matt Nichols we've come to expect over the past couple of years, and that—that that was key. I mean, and they were able to get the momentum, keep the momentum on their side, and it was even though it was a back and forth battle for the most part. Uh, sooner or later, they pulled away, and that's where it was, and that's really truly where things just sort of went completely flat for Montreal, especially that. That interception on Manzel, which, by the way, was a terrible throw. I mean, uh, I,
1: oh, well, that and well, but the thing is, he had done one earlier from the far hash mark, and it would look perfect. I mean, you, you give him that, but you can also give him the touchdown that should have been for uh, that, that should have been for for Winnipeg, but it was uh, negated by a um, by one of the two penalties by the by the Blue Bombers. I think it was a, a was a legal
2: uh, uh, holding.
1: Was it holding or was it uh, not, not PI? It was um, uh, drawing a total blank. It's not PI. What's the other one that is not PI, but it's close to PI?
2: Interfe- well, interference. <laughs> <laughs> no,
1: no, no. It's like illegal hands. You know what I'm talking about. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But by the way, for anybody of those who don't know what the hell Cliff just said, uh, this is the first ever dictionary version of the Alowitz flight deck. Uh, Mollywap. Mollywap is to reach way back with your pimp hand, damn near knocking one not, not knocking oneself off balance and deliver a massive blow with an inside closed fist to the temple of your hoe or foe. That comes directly from Urban Dictionary. That was this week's it's Flight Deck Word of the Week. Um, <laughs> I'm here to
2: entertain and educate.
1: <laughs> um yeah, so that you know, Johnny Showed signs of improvement. I am. I'm. I will give him this. I mean, he's looked from the first week till now. He slid when he needed to, you know, staying away from possible uh, injury or concussion. Um, you know, the the owls were in. Were not in this. The problem is they weren't in this at halftime. It was twenty to six at halftime, and I thought this was going to be the same type of game that it was when Strevler was the quarterback when they were here in Montreal at the beginning of the season. So it's it just a matter they just couldn't stop. They are up 10 nothing, and the closest they got was 10-3. And you cannot, as we know, you can't win on just field goals alone.
2: No, and you can't lay all the blame for the loss on Johnny Mansell. No, I you know can. there's a lot of haters out there, Agreed. and
1: I get it. But, I completely but, agree with you on this one.
2: But Johnny was not the reason why the Owls lost this game. This was... I always say you win as a team and you lose as a team, and they took that to heart. They lost as a team. This was a collective effort to lose the game, and that's exactly what happened.
1: Yeah, they did. Now I think if we were to lay any blame as we were talking about before, it's the Alouettes' O line. I know, yeah, we'll, no. I know, we'll be giving our 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 um, grades a little bit later, but I think anybody can see where we're going here. The O line is just horrible this season. And Just as in the past five games, it's just. You, you're in some of these games. You want to win these games, but you can't if you can't protect your quarterback, no matter who's behind center. No.
2: And if I didn't know better, I'd say that they didn't want to protect Johnny Manziel. It was, uh, it was,
1: yeah, you said <laughs> that twice, actually, you said that twice, or, or is that something on Twitter that we saw? No, that you said that on Twitter, right? I said
2: it on Twitter and I, I still believe it is that I really got the impression on that game just based on everything that I saw that it really felt like the offensive line did not want to play for Johnny Manziel at quarterback. Just based off of his comments from the week prior possibly just maybe the way he carries himself maybe the fact that uh, maybe he's not the great teammate that people want him to be or what i again i i can only speculate that's, that's all we can do as yeah. as fans and supporters is just speculate as to what goes on we don't know what's going on in the locker room but you, you take a look at a performance like that and the first thing you think of is like wow these
1: guys don't they're not on the same page at all well we we've and, seen too whether it be it's usually depicted in football in football movies where to to in order to um, to prove a point to a quarterback which may have pissed some people off or to that effect, they basically make it seem that they're going to block for them, but yet they actually let the D come through and just you know I said, just to prove a point. I think we saw it in uh, the the, long, the remake of the longest yard, I think in the original the longest yard too, where a point was made. Mm -hmm. it's like you do need us rather than you know us needing you in that type. i guess that i know it's not the team thing to do cliff but
2: no and these guys are professionals i expect them to act like professionals and regardless of how you feel about the quarterback your job is still to protect the quarterback so if you're not doing that then you're not doing your job It's simple as that right so right
1: and, but and again, obviously-
2: it's just its – I'm just going – like I said, I'm going strictly based on what I saw on TV that night was it just really – I really got the impression that this offensive line just didn't want to play for Johnny Manziel because, again, I, I also know that they also let Antonio Pipkin get sacked a few times uh, during his tenure, but it felt more like they wanted to play for him mm-hmm. just a little bit more uh-huh. than what they would, were willing to play for Johnny Manziel. Like that was really truly the impression I got. Maybe I'm crazy. I don't know, but uh, – that's just how it looked anyways. And sometimes the optics are just that's what they are. It's it's what you see in front of you. Yeah. So
1: now and the reason why we brought this up is because the, the Alouettes uh last week with the sacks that they gave up, was it was it was it the grand total of of four? Four. Five. Yeah, Five. They've already surpassed their total in sacks given up from last year. So they've already passed forty six. I think they're now at forty seven or forty eight. Now, mind you, that is a far cry from what 2016 was, where it went when it was 64. But then you get back to 2015, Cliff, where it was 33. And just for those uh, you stats geeks out there, the record for the Alouettes for most sacks given up in a single season was 1986, where they gave up 75. And by the way, that's nowhere near the CFL record. That's actually 28 off the CFL record. Toronto Argonauts set a record for futility. So wow. Yeah. Now, the problem is, too, is that the Alouettes are like 20 behind the nearest opponent, which happens, which, by the way, happens to be, I think it's the same, the team that we're playing this week in Saskatchewan. Mm. So, but we can talk, we can talk a little bit more with, with Rod when we, when we talk to him about that. But um, either way, Cliff, something has to be done. They have to shore up their, they have to shore them up. They got to get their penalties under control. They're playing full games just by looking at the stats. This is not the you know this is the, this is not the Owls team before, which was you know didn't hold the ball for they had to held the you know let the other team hold the ball for any close to forty minutes and in eighty in seventy eighty plays. Mm-hmm. It, just the problem is that's not the case. That wasn't the case, and it's something yeah, t- that, that they have to do going forward if they want to win. If they want to win, because we we came up with some, some great stats, if you asked the question, we got the answer from from our friend Steve Daniel, head statistician, about the playoffs, and we'll talk about that more mm-hmm. in the second half. But yeah, they just—they need to go on a streak. They got to go on a streak. Now we we're talking about it before. Got to give, got to give our grades. Um, if you were to give a grade this week, Cliff, on the offense, what grade would you give them?
2: A D. One touchdown, and the rest were essentially kicked. Like Boris Bede scored uh, seven of your fourteen points. I'm sorry. That's that's just not going to cut it. That's not going to win you football games. No, well, it did. It did Ottawa. <laughs> well, that's because they've got this kid that just doesn't know any better. That you know, they just line him up and off they go. But even then, he gets a lot more opportunities than what Bede does to uh, to make even a field goal attempts. That's the thing. Yeah. Is that yeah, it's great they can make all these kicks, but you got to at least have the opportunity to get there. And there's been so many times where Montreal just ends up punting. And yes, every once in a while he might get a, a rouge, but. Uh, yeah. So again, when your your kicker scores basically fifty percent of your points, you're in trouble.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm incur- I was encouraged by the uh, by how well they worked the run into the game. I'm happy about that. So I'll give him I'll give him some extra points on that one. So an apple goes to the teacher. And but I think overall I'd probably give it a I probably give the offense a D also because you can't sc- if you're not scoring no matter how everything else is going. You you know you're not gonna win, and that's been you know that's been the case again. the The Alouettes, my the Alouettes need to score thirty plus points in order to win a game this year. It's 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 obvious. My categories. Mm-hmm. So now what about the what about the defense? Defense. Yeah, I what, what, what grade do you give them?
2: Well, again they allowed thirty points, so part of me wants to say F, but uh, I'd probably go with a D as well because they have played good for the most part, but. There's been a lot of times again where they're just not making those tackles they're not uh, just not executing on certain things and defense as well is just uh, there's no pass rush uh, even with Bowman in the lineup like they're just uh, they're still missing that punch and I thought Gabriel Napno was going to provide that and I'm sure he will but uh, I mean Winnipeg just was able to make him look silly like uh, most of the other teams have done this season uh-huh. so yeah I definitely have to go with a, a D for the defense.
1: Defense for me, um, I mean, they, they kept, as I said, it was half half with keeping the teams on the field. I think I, that, that's a plus. I mean, it also showed that the, you know, I, had to, I have to give the offense a little bit of credit, I will admit, because they did start taking advantage of the yards, but they just couldn't score. I think most of the penalties were most of the penalties on defense this week? Uh, let's see. So at the top of my. Not, no, uh, no, it was on offense. Really? So uh, defense, I mean, points wise, you look at the total, total, total yards they gave up. It was only 344 total yards. Um, you know, they held Winnipeg to just under, just under, just over 50% on their second down conversions. The Owls were close to a C minus, but just, just near that hump of near, near that, that, that line of a D, but just that close. That they, I think they would give him, I would give him a C minus, you know, so All right. either, either way. But there are a lot of things also that we have to talk about. There is a surprising trade that came across the wires, which we had no clue was even coming. And we, boy, Cliff and I have a lot to talk about that and wait till you hear what we have to say about this. Uh, talk about the game coming up. Um, also, the game, the game, and what's coming up as far as what the Alouettes are going to be offer, offering this week for you, the fan, in our first Sunday home game, which I'm very happy about.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. But before we talk about that and Cliff and I talk about what we think is going to happen with the Alouettes in the game this week versus the Riders, we first have to hear what the other side of the ball says when it comes to the Riders. And uh, we are going to, as I said before, are going to be speaking with Rod Peterson and hear what he has to say from the Saskatchewan Rough Riders point of view. And on the line with us now to talk Riders, Alouettes. The voice of the Saskatchewan Rough Riders for 20 years and the host of the Sports Cage on 620 CKRM in Regina, Mr. Rod Peterson. Welcome, Rod.
0: Thank you, Tim. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited.
1: First thing we have to ask, we just saw the, um, I guess we saw the tweet come out earlier today and you probably know about this too. What's the the, uh, Saskatchewan situation with, uh, you guys lost a pretty big name uh, as a wide receiver this week.
0: Uh, yes, Riders' leading receiver, Naaman Roosevelt, will not play Sunday in Montreal. It's an undisclosed injury. If, if you watched last week's game in Toronto, <laughs> he took several hard knocks. So t- take your pick as to which one knocked him out of this game. They said it was an amazing feat just for him to finish that game at the Argos on Saturday. Uh, he went down awkwardly a couple of times. So leading receiver Naaman Roosevelt will not play. He's being replaced in the offense by Kenny Shaw, former Ottawa Red Black at Toronto Argonaut, who's been around here since August, has been waiting for his opportunity. Pretty good receiver, and um, it's not going to be long-term for Roosevelt.
1: Now, heading into this matchup, it'll be the second quarterback that the Rough Riders had, have gone up against this year when, versus the Alouettes. Um, what have you heard and what you've seen on TV? What's what's your thought on, uh, on Johnny football?
0: Well, <clears throat> I've been pulling for Johnny Manziel, um, since Texas A&M days, I really have, and was pulling for him to to make it work in Cleveland. Didn't happen. Was pulling for him to make the comeback in Cleveland. Didn't happen. Um, never thought in a million years that he would land in the CFL, and I lost a lot of bets this winter and this spring. I didn't think he'd show up in Hamilton, but the more I talked to the Cats people, they were pretty, pretty sure that he was going to show up, And eventually he did the day before training camp. I was pulling for Johnny there. Obviously, never even got his opportunity. So, you know, the Hamilton uh, stop, the Hamilton tenure for Johnny. I don't even think will make his Wikipedia page. Yeah. And now in Montreal, I was I was pulling for Johnny there, and I, and I can't say that I'm not still pulling for Johnny. It's just I haven't liked some of the things that he that he's done. And, and by the way, who cares what I think? And I know Johnny certainly doesn't care. He don't think he cares what anybody thinks. But. You know, just some of the comments there. Um, he needs to start winning. I, I want to see this turn out well for Johnny Manziel. I really do. I want to see it turn out well for the Montreal Outlet. I'd hate to think they gave up so much for somebody that's not going to turn that franchise around. It's uh, But the more you look at it, if Johnny... I think this is the one thing, Tim, when you ask that question. Yeah. This will not be a quick fix for Johnny Manziel. This comeback, the, the splashy T-shirts, isn't going to be a rebuild the Alouettes in half a season and head back to the NFL. I mean, contractually, it can't happen, but can cannot happen. But even if he plays through 2019 and his contract's up in the CFL, it's going to take longer than that. I mean, I, it's, it's been a while since I looked this up, but I believe Doug Flutie spent eight seasons in the CFL before he went back to the National Football League. And in that time, he was the league MVP six consecutive years. Yeah. I mean, we tend to forget this stuff. Johnny's got a lot of work to do. A lot of work to do. And I'm sure he's been told that by many people. Ken Austin, Eric Tillman, Mike Sherman, Kavis Reed. Not sure it's sunk in yet. How much work Johnny Manziel's got to do for this to be successful in Montreal and for him to get back to the NFL if that is his goal. I don't know what his goal is. I've never talked to the man. I was around him here when the Ticats were through in July, and I was actually a little surprised at how big he is. Big guy. You guys know that from being around him in Montreal. Uh, I want to see it work. I'm not sure that Johnny's, um, I'm not sure it's on the right track right now. So, you yeah, know, Sunday's a good start to see, isn't
1: it? It'll be interesting to see because they said it's, uh, we've seen what he's done so far. We saw what, you know, we went down with the concussion and then we, you know, Cliff and I talked the last week about the comments that he made, which I, as fans were like, really, you really make this type of thing when you, you really want to piss off your O-line. Um, yeah, it, it, it will be an interesting matchup. I mean, considering that what Johnny brings to the table, I mean, it's, I, you know, I look at the other words, like Antonio Pipkin, I think just did just as well. It's just a matter of, I think, Rod, you'll agree too, is that the, the Alouettes just, they just need to score. <laughs> it, it, it's more than, it's more than field goals. And you'll agree. You can't just kick field goals and win a game. Normally you, you have to score points. And, and fortunately for the Alouettes this season, that's just been their issue the entire season.
0: Well, the odd thing is when you boil it down to this, you mentioned 20 seasons in the CFL. For me, I've learned a thing or two. Uh, The coaches are only going to put the players on the field that give them the best chance to win, Mm -hmm. or at least the winningest coaches have operated under that MO. And just watching Montreal from the outside, I'm not sure that Johnny Manziel gives them the best chance to win. I mean, you're going to yank Antonio Pipkin because he threw a couple of late picks against BC. Everybody has a bad outing. And not criticizing what's going on with Montreal. It's their team. They can do what they want. Right. But I got to say, Cliffy and I have talked about this on the air, off the air. I was a huge Johnny Manziel fan. I've followed him on Twitter, follow him on Instagram. I read everything that's ever been written about him. The long Sports Illustrated episodes, the documentaries, I've watched it all. Like I have been pulling for Johnny Manziel for a long time, since I think he first came on my radar, probably about 2013. So that's six seasons ago. Um, I'm not sure I'm pulling for him as much as I was and read into that what you will. I just, I, I don't see this ending. Well, that's that that's, that's the feeling that I get for Johnny Manziel. I certainly hope that I'm wrong and for his sake, I hope that I'm wrong, but um, he's got a lot of proving to do and I hope he realizes how much. Yeah.
2: Cliff. No, we're going to transition from one superstar athlete in the CFL to another who was a member of the Rough Riders, one Duron Carter. We know about Deron Carter here in Montreal, and you've got to see Deron Carter for the past couple of seasons. Now he's with the Toronto Argonauts. What was your overall take on the Deron Carter saga, now that he's not a part of the team? uh, What what are your impressions overall on his body of work with the Rough Riders?
0: Cliffy, I'd like to think that I'm an open-minded guy. Um, When the Riders signed Deron Carter, I was against it based on what I'd seen on the field and what I'd seen in the media about Deron. Never having ever met the man. About one week into training camp, his first training camp with the Riders, I was starting to warm up to him. And about a month into his tenure with the Riders last season, I absolutely loved and adored Deron Carter. So anybody that's listening that's an Alouettes fan that's had anything to do with Deron would probably agree with me. I still love Deron Carter. Um, But I mean, his act gets old. I've talked about this ad nauseum since he was released on August 11th and uh, picked up by the Argos. And I've had, Cliff, the opportunity, which I treasure, to have spent a day with Deron Carter at a public appearance that we did. And we talked about everything, life, his family, my family, football. Like, Deron is a highly intelligent, highly engaging, big-hearted guy. He's not the most mature guys, however. And I think even he would tell you that. And I think that's what landed him in trouble in Saskatchewan. And Chris Jones didn't even want to get rid of Deron Carter. He did not want to. Chris and I have had those talks. But when the coaches had those meetings in that bye week in mid-August, they had said to Chris, this experiment needs to end. He's not helping us win. And that's what led to the end of Deron Carter in Saskatchewan. Jones still didn't want to do it. I could tell the morning of the news conference when he was asked why he cut him, that he didn't want to. I could tell by the tone in his voice. And I'm sorry if I'm going on long here, but I could talk about Duran all day. I was happy to see him in Toronto last week and be around him for the media scrum and find out how he's doing in Toronto. Got to know his dad, who, same thing, I'd heard not good things about until I actually met Chris Carter. Now I have nothing but great things to say about Chris Carter, which is kind of an indictment of the media. Don't go by what you hear, guys. Don't judge a book by its cover or what you hear. Wait until you actually meet somebody before you form an opinion. Because I was wrong on both counts. So, But it's funny, Cliffy, that you made that segue from Menzel to Duran because they're so similar. The media is always running to them and shoving a mic in their face. And I don't know Johnny, I've never met him, but I think I know Duran pretty well. He's just going to be honest. He's just going to tell you what he's thinking. And where is what's wrong with that? You know? but i know that a lot of teammates start to say after a while how come he's getting all the interviews how come he's getting all the attention how come he's selling all the jerseys how come it's always deron 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 and same thing in toronto last week I think he was targeted one time yet he's the one that tsn's interviewing before the game i turned on tsn sports center yesterday what's the story about how much is deron going to play this week <laughs> like you know and it's the same it's it's the same thing with Manziel, like, how long is this going to last at Montreal where the story's Johnny, Johnny, Johnny? You go into that game where he was the third-string quarterback at Ottawa, it was all about Johnny. I'm watching the TSN pregame show, and I'm just getting I'm nauseated by Johnny Manziel. Guys, he's not even playing. What's wrong with you, TSN? Yet they can sniff out a story, and they know what people want to see. It's Deron Carter. It's Johnny Manziel. It's not those two's fault that they're so magnetic, that they're so... They're not train wrecks. I don't believe, but there's something about them that people can't get enough of. And it's funny how Duran and Johnny are so similar that way. And I'm to be honest, I want it to end well for both of them, but that both of them have a lot to prove. And I would suggest neither one of them is where they should be in football. They should both be in the national football league. You guys know that they both know how they, they both have that amount of talent, but for whatever reason, they're not. And, um, you'd have to ask them why they're not but it's it's funny how intertwined they are in their careers oh
2: without question I, I, you said it best you could just with all the hype with everything with both of these guys they're pretty much interchangeable as far as the hype and how they move the needle in the in the media and how fans just clamor to them because they are names. They are what people want to see. People want to see Johnny Manziel. People want to see De'Ron Carter. They want to see them do amazing things on the field. And when they don't, they're just, they don't know how to react. They, they just can't figure out what's going on. Why aren't they getting more playing time? Why aren't they, you know, the stars that they need to be? They, they They have to be out there. And they're just not sometimes. And it's, I can imagine for a lot of fans, it's very hard, especially for traditional football fans too, that don't understand why people are so hyped up about these guys when they haven't, Really proven anything in the Canadian Football League? I mean, Duran, I'll, I'll say, has proven himself, whereas Manzel is still a work in progress. But uh, I understand where people get hyped up over these names because they mean something. But uh, you, you said it yourself; like, you got to prove yourself on on the football field. You got to be able to show up on game day, and that's where you're really make your name known. That's where you're really going to make your yeah, money.
0: Duran's done that a little bit. Uh, couple thousand yard seasons he was the riders MVP last year yeah he's got a little bit to stand on but you know he was facing two criminal charges in the offseason the number one reason why he's not in the National Football League right now and we all know why Johnny Manziel isn't but I think a lot of fans need to do a little more listening and less talking because when the riders cut Deron Carter they were ready to burn the stadium down because he was so popular and it's mm-hmm. like guys fans you don't know the whole story here and I kind of took it upon myself to outline a little bit of why, because Chris Jones didn't want to throw Durant under the bus. That's, how, that's just the kind of guy Chris Jones is. He's gone. I'm not going to trample on his grave here. But same thing with Manziel, and very similar to Vince Young when the Riders signed him. I don't know about the Montreal fan base, but I can tell you this in Saskatchewan. They follow the Rough Riders from there. They casually follow the CFL, and not a lot of them follow the NFL or college football. For, for most of them, it's just the Riders. So people were saying to me, why is Vince Young a big deal? I'm like, are you familiar with Google? Look it <laughs> up. He's one, of, he's one of the biggest names in the game, Vince Young was. And Vince did something. Two-time Pro Bowler, third overall pick in the first round uh, by Tennessee, and won the Rose Bowl. Johnny Manziel, guys, has anybody told him he doesn't, hasn't done squat at the pro level? Yeah. Has anybody told him that? Because of the swagger and the talk and the attitude. That's kind of why I'm getting turned off on Johnny. You know, when I when I was talking with the Thai Cats in the off season, I said, I hope he comes up and humbles himself. I hope he puts his head down and just works on a daily basis. But you know what? And they had nothing but good things to say about Johnny. He never had that opportunity. They were going to play Jeremiah Masoli. And can how can you argue with that? With the start that he had out of the gate. So, Johnny, what happened in Hamilton? Again, blip on the radar. But in Montreal, I just don't see the humility that I think Johnny Mansell's going to need. and with Duran, I just I just love the guy. Um, I was kind of hoping that he wouldn't get signed by Toronto. I was kind of hoping that he would not get an opportunity that that would be the point in his life where Duran would say, hey, this isn't working. What do I need to change? But he didn't have that that light didn't go on because it didn't need to. There was the Argos with a contract, you know and now and now it's Mark Tressman who, I'll never, ever forget the quote that he said the day before the East Final last year. Mark Tressman, when the Riders were in there to face Toronto for the East Final, he said, every day, every single day is a chance to prove yourself. And I just, I wonder what Trestman could do if he got a hold of Johnny Manziel. I really do. Because that's something I think Johnny needs to have drilled home.
1: Uh, I, I, I always wonder what we could do if we could get a hold of Mark Tressman again also. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I bet.
1: uh it it just seems that to me that you're talking about the fans in montreal right now i think one of the most infuriating things that cliff and i have had to go go through is uh you know pickens under center and you have the wannabe fans who are chanting we want johnny we want johnny and it's it it just gets it gets so annoying it's like it's like guys uh, again like you said do you know what he has done (laughs) I mean, he's he's a name. Nothing. Yeah, yeah. He's he's a name. Unfortunately, he's a name where money kind of, you know, kind of uh, put him in the position that he currently is as a starting
0: quarterback. So that's that's. that's well, if a, I can inter, if I can interrupt you, Tim, this yeah. is what I think. Yeah. And he has been on my show a couple of times. We talked about this. I can't imagine the atmosphere in Percival Molson Stadium, where I've been many times. It's so uh, I love it. By the way, it's one of my favorite stadiums in the CFL, but it's intimate. It's tiny. I can't imagine the, just the environment, what it's like. You got Tipkin trying to play. You got V.A. trying to play, trying to win yeah. for these fans. And you got fans up in the crowd chanting, we want Johnny. How unbelievably insulting to the players. And I, I would just think I would be a player on the sideline looking up at the, at the stands like you just said, thinking, what is wrong with you people? But they're in the stadium because they're buying into hype and clearly they watch TSN. And I guess that's why they're in the crowd and why the coaches are (laughs) running the game. Yeah. You know, I just I just can't imagine how weird that situation would be to be in that stadium and experience that. And maybe uh, we'll feel it on Sunday. Who knows?
1: You will. Uh, We will need to find out this week. Let's see how let's see how many people Johnny is is good for, Uh, you know, extra butts in the seats this week for when Johnny starts, because last time that he started, he was only worth an extra two K in the stands. So we'll find out. Wow. Well,
0: and the one thing I do admire about Montreal is they say to hell with the NFL, we're going to play Sundays, damn it! Yeah, Uh, in the fall, so which is I I think it's cool. I'm loving these triple headers in the CFL on Saturday. uh, The rest of the league's trying to avoid the NFL, and I think it's working. The crowds look to be good. The ratings are good, but it, damn it, come hell or high water, in Montreal we're playing on Sundays and. I got my wife and one daughter coming out and a hundred of my coworkers for the game. And uh, yes. I hope you guys give them a great atmosphere because they've been told Montreal's a place you got to see and they're going to do that.
1: And for, it's funny, you've been there many a time and you even know. Riders fans even travel well to Montreal.
0: Oh, there's going to be a ton of green in there. And uh, Montreal is one of the few places in the league where our fans get treated first class <laughs> on the road. Yep. So I'm hoping our guys are on their best behavior, but I know that Montreal, it's just, it's, i gotta I always say guys that to, to the Western Canadian football fan you gotta get to Montreal because it is a distinct society. it's a hornet's nest of an environment for the visiting team, and it's something you gotta experience because you can't words don't do it justice
1: all right so we got the, these two and I could say these two teams know each other quite well, obviously going back to the or their back to back matchups in the Grey Cup uh, a few years back um Obviously, these two teams this year seem to have a a, a big problem at O line, and both these two teams are basically second to last and last when it comes to giving up the most sacks uh, this season. Alouettes are last. Saskatchewan is still in in seven, uh Sorry, in eighth. But yet they are still, tw- I think, is twenty five ahead uh, of the Alouettes. Um, when you're looking at these two matchups, just the O lines themselves, Rod. Uh, what what can really give uh, when it comes to these two the, when these two teams play this weekend?
0: Well, um, I'll just flip it, and I think the Riders' defensive line is waiting to bust out. Yeah. So I think that's the difference. I mean, the Alouettes, you know, they still got some beef up front. John Bowman still doing John Bowman things, beast. right? Beast, yeah, beast. But uh, but I think that the Riders' O line or D line is just ready to eat. Um, Charleston Hughes hasn't had a sack in three weeks, you know, he's still well out front with 13, but I think if the right, you know, if this, you're asking who's going to win the line of scrimmage battle, I think it'll be the rough riders who, by the way, are second in the CFL and rushing with a combo of Trey Mason, Marcus Thigpen. And look how that worked out in Toronto last week. Yeah. Um, I do think this. I had TSN's Chris Schultz on my show today and he thinks if the Alouettes start running the football with the two guys you've got left after Terrell Sutton was traded, that might affect the game a lot, too. Have your own line run blocking versus pass blocking will make a heck of a difference for the Montreal Alouettes. I think the Riders will win the line of scrimmage battle, which will ultimately decide the game. The games are always won in the box.
1: I'm sure it's going to. It's maybe kind of a revenge game itself, Rod, for uh, for the for the Riders this week versus the versus the Owls, considering that you know they the Owls did did spoil the game versus the Riders last time that they were there and it got their first win of the season. That's um, th- does coach Jones actually preach that these type of revenge games, or is it just a matter of it's a game, go out and play and do your job.
0: Jones talked about that today. He said that it, I don't think it'll be part of his pregame speech, but the guys have been talking about it this week, that they felt that they were embarrassed by the Alouettes that week, which by the way, it was only 23 17. Yeah. Yeah. It was a six point win. It was a closer game than people seem to remember. Um, Travis Moore, the CFL great receiver who's now the writers receivers coach was on my show today. And he said the same thing just in meetings, guys have been talking about the Alouettes embarrassing them in week three. So they've been talking about it. It would appear to a man all week long, but let me just remind you one thing, you guys, the ardent Alouettes fans that you are cliffy, you weren't out here. Oh, you were out here for that game. Yeah, cliffy, Yes, sir. I was, yep. um, see how closely I stock what you're doing. <laughs> so, the, Here's a really big difference. In this game, compared to that one, Zach Caleros. Mm -hmm. Because in week three, Brandon Bridge came out. He was starting for the Riders. It was his first start of the season. And on the opening play, he threw a 50-yard dime right on Marcus Thigpen, who was behind coverage, and Marcus dropped it. First play. And I I knew that Brandon became unraveled mentally after that. And when I talked to him after the game, he agreed that it did. He, He had a very tough time coming back from that. Zach Caleros is a guy that would have forgotten it the second that it happened. That's why Zach Caleros is the starting quarterback for the Rough Riders. That's why the Riders are 6-2 and two with him. Um, the only problem with Zach is when he gets really hit hard, you hold your breath because of the concussion problems. Mm-hmm. But Zach Caleros was acquired for a reason by Chris Jones. And again, 6-2, and two, he believes, Jones does, that Zach Caleros makes the Riders an immediate great cup contender. And it's hard to argue with what he's done. So, Zach wasn't in that game in week three, and I think he's a major game-changer as far as this matchup goes on Sunday.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you brought that up, because I was going to ask you about the Zach Caleros factor, because when he's on, he is on. He is one of the top quarterbacks in the Canadian Football League when he's playing. But when he gets hurt and he's not in the game, then it's a, a whole different thing altogether. Like, you cannot understate just how important Zach Caleros is, not just the Rough Riders, but I'd even go as far as to say the Canadian Football League in general.
0: Well, the whole team is off, you know, when, 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 when Zach's not on the field, it changes the complexion of the team. He's that much of a leader. Um, And when he's off in terms of maybe not completing passes at the rate you'd like, not as accurate as you'd like, he's still not that bad. you know, he's still a pretty good quarterback. And, you know, we've been debating this on, I do a TV show, I do a radio show. We do a lot of rider coverage out here, guys, as you can imagine. And my analysts, former riders, are saying he's not as mobile as he was in 2015. Well, that was four years ago. Maybe he's being coached not to be that mobile. Maybe he's being coached to stay in the pocket and save himself. Who knows? I'll go back to that six and two as a starter stat. Um, that's, pretty, that's pretty good.
2: Without question. Uh, Rod, as far as this game itself goes, what's the one thing that Saskatchewan has to do to ensure victory against Montreal besides show up?
0: Um, I know it sounds very simplistic, but they need to make less mistakes, and I'll explain why I say that. The game in Toronto on Saturday, Zach Medeiros misses a 51-yard field goal, which would have won the Argos in the game. Our fans, a lot of them are saying, oh, Riders were lucky to win. Maybe but they made less mistakes than the Argos in that game. So I'm not just talking about turning the football over. We all know the stat, when you win the turnover battle, how many times you go on to win. But penalties at key times, drop passes, that's what bit the Riders against Ottawa two weeks ago here and stopped a four-game win streak. So the Riders will win Sunday if they make less mistakes than the Montreal Alouettes. And I see the Alouettes are the most penalized team in the CFL, which speaks to discipline. Yeah. Right. I already did the numbers for the game. So... I think if the riders come in and just be themselves, um, the only thing that would worry you is uh, is the trap game thing. I think there's there's room for that discussion when you're looking at a three and nine. Well, yeah, three and ten now three yeah three yeah, and ten. Three ten. yes um, three and ten. There is that there is a danger of looking past the Alouettes, and you know what? I don't mind saying it. Riders have been guilty of that in games already this season with a few teams. So so yeah, make less mistakes than the Alouettes and don't look past the Montreal all I don't think they will, but they've done it. So there's a reason to, to watch this game Sunday because who knows what's going to happen.
1: It's actually very funny that you were talking about the, these two teams and, and even though how bad Montreal has been playing all these all these past couple of years, Rod, uh, you know, Saskatchewan has actually only won once in the last six games in Montreal.
0: And I can't remember when that game was. I know last year... It was on the missed field goal by Tyler Cropinion in overtime.
1: Yeah, that's, I think that's and Darian what it was. Durant,
0: <laughs> well, and Darian Durant uh, won his uh, Alouette's debut. I don't know what it is. I, talk, I talked about the hostile environment there. I don't have a huge debate for the time change and the travel and all that. I just don't. They're young men. Uh, they should be able to get up and play a game at 11 o'clock their time. <laughs> but to be honest, yeah. I don't know what it is other than the Alouettes are historically tough at home. Not this year. They only got one win there. But I do know that any team in this league can win on any given week if the other team isn't prepared. Uh-huh. Um, so that's why I'm not. I'm not saying... I mean, I predict the Riders will win every week, <laughs> but I'm not going to say they're coming in there to win by 21.
1: Who are the players on the Riders' side of the ball who you think are going to have big games in order for the for the Riders to come uh, away with a win this week?
0: Ah, uh, well, obviously Zach Caleros because he'll touch the ball on every play. I think he's uh, worth the price of admission on offense. He's the biggest name, and then the rest is the Riders' bread and butters on defense. Mm-hmm. So. You'd be watching for Charleston Hughes. You'd be watching for Willie Jefferson, who can forget his 97-yard pick-six in the Banjo Bowl. Worth the price of admission there. And some good young American rookies that nobody really knows up here, but they're starting to become household names. Nick Marshall will probably be the Riders Rookie of the Year. I think he's got two touchdowns on defense, three touchdowns on offense. Not shabby. And uh, Matt Elam, the bookend corner, started four years for the Ravens in the secondary. He came on, and he's playing the uh, fieldside corner spot. So there's a couple of names there. And Sammy Guavin is probably going to be the Rough Riders defensive MVP this year. He leads in tackles. He leads in tackles for losses. And up until a couple of weeks ago, special teams tackles. So these aren't gaudy names. Our fans complain, gentlemen, that they don't know who these guys are. Because Jones changes players a lot of times like he changes his shirt, although he hasn't changed his green shirt for some time, but you know what I'm saying yeah. like, there's not the fans haven't really gravitated toward a lot of these guys because they're in and out so much, but these are guys that have made plays and impacts for the riders this year. And I think I said Charleston Hughes. Yes. I think he's gonna I think he's gonna he's primed to go off. That's the plan. We'll see if it happens or not.
1: Cliff, take us home.
0: All right. Well, Rod, we can't thank you enough
2: for joining us this evening. Uh, how can people find you on social media?
0: Appreciate it, Cliffy. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter, at Rod Peterson. Uh, my blog is updated every day, rodpeterson.com, full of Rough Rider news there. And that's uh, probably the best ways to follow me. I appreciate it. And Instagram, at Rod Peterson Official. As you know, I'm pretty busy on all of those, and uh, I appreciate that opportunity.
1: Once again, thanks, for uh, Rod, for joining us. Uh, a man who has 20 years of experience and not necessarily just the riders, but the CFL, the guy knows a lot and he knows what he's talking about. Uh, uh, props to you, Cliff, for, uh, for inviting him onto the show. Oh, it's
2: an absolute pleasure. Uh, like I said, I've known Rod for a couple of years now and it's just been a class act with me. Uh, he's again, the, like you said, the man knows his stuff when it comes to football. When it comes to the, not just to the Riders, but the Canadian Football League as well. And uh, we're very happy to be able to get him here on the flight deck. And he's again, like so many of our guests, he's definitely welcome to come back on here anytime he wants.
1: All right. So a uh, big uh, before we talk more about the game itself, we have to talk about the news that came over the wire. Again, it's funny. We we talk about we you know us moving our show to Wednesdays, and sometimes there is a method to the madness. Thank the CFL news gods that uh, there was a shakeup. At the running back position, and I know you and I have some strong words about this. Uh, a s- six year CFL vet Terrell Sutton was traded to the BC Lions, the second Allowitz running back this year, traded to the BC Lions mm-hmm. for a uh, so it was him, a third round draft pick. And the Alouettes receive and return the second round draft pick in 2019 and a conditional one, I think, it's also a sixth round in 2019 also? Correct. Um, first and foremost, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> just, just, yeah. Just, just to be blunt, uh, you know, considering that what Terrell Sutton has done in the CFL for the Alouettes. And, you know, sometimes when you come to Montreal, you are a very—it's like—you know, it's how they say when you, you're playing in the north, Northwest— in the NFL, like if you Seattle or something like that you really people don't know really know about your player if you're a star, uh, or NFL or, or Major League Baseball, this is the same type of thing with uh, with Sutton. Uh, Sutton was he was probably one of the hardest workers that we know. He was always balling. Again, one of the games that you and I will remember the most recently was the Thanksgiving Day game last year in the rain, just all out balling. Um, you know, considering what the Alouettes get in return, the you know what I'm sorry, the Alouettes. Like the Johnny Manziel thing trade, I think the Alouettes got the got the uh, got the bottom part of the stick on in this trade.
0: Hmm.
2: No, it's so tough because you're absolutely right. Tyrell has been such a huge part of the community here in Montreal. Uh, Let's not forget he actually moved here. Yeah, like he has been living here year round for the past couple of years. Like he is very much a part of Montreal itself. So, understandably, people are upset that he's. Now being now he's going to be plying his trade for the BC Lions, and yeah, it's unfortunate. I, I kind of see it from the business aspect of things. I mean, let's be honest, folks. Once you hit thirty as a running back, it only goes downhill from there. Uh, you'll you'll get some, you'll still get a couple of quality years out of a guy, but usually the best years for running back are from twenty three to thirty. After that, it just drops off, and I'm sure that was very much a concern for Kavis was that. Suddy's not a young man anymore. Uh, He has suffered some major injuries over the years as well, so he's a little bit injury-prone. And I guess with only signing a one-year contract in Montreal this uh, offseason, I think the concern was with the CBA and if things are going to change and we're going to have to re-sign him, he's going to want more money, and how much more do we want to keep investing in him? Even though he's been a, a major part of the community, logistically does it make sense to pay this much money for a running back who's... I'm not going to say his best days are behind him because I don't think they are. But at the same time, you can't ignore the age factor. And I think Kavis was thinking to himself that he's just got to try and get something. Got a couple of young studs in the backfield now with William Stanback and Ryder Stone who have been very impressive this year. In fact, I'll go so far as to say that they were the... One of the few bright spots of the Alouettes this season was their performance, not just on special teams, but also when they've been given a chance to run the ball. So I think Kavis is thinking that he's got these two young studs. that are only going to get better with time and more playing time. Uh, Suddy, I guess, becomes the odd man out. He still has value because he is a name. He is an all-star. Let's see what we can get from him. I'm of the belief, though, that we could have gotten a little bit more for him. But oh, I, I, I guess with, with being injured, I guess that's... Uh, another concern as well yeah but
1: uh, you, you look at the injuries. You, you speak you bring up injuries and one thing i wanted to say is you look at the last two running backs basically the last two run three running backs that we've had they've all uh taken over for one another you know so you know with terrell being here from 13 to 18 before him was uh, was uh uh was brandon whitaker from uh, 08 to 14 and then avon coburn from 06 to 10 if i remember correctly whitaker and coburn really had uh, they're uh, a lot more significant injuries than than Sutton did. And it, I think for them, it was in the year prior to them coming uh, to their last year with the Alouettes. Mm-hmm. I, I just don't know, understand wh- how, why, you know, I think Brandon, uh, sorry, uh, Sutton was our longest tenured running back since, wow, since Mike Pringle. He was here the longest. Is that, is that, am I, I think I'm right. Yep. Yeah. Why is it that the Alouettes, and remember, this just isn't Cavis? You go back to these other two players, and it was Jim Pop as our GM. Why are our running backs only staying in Montreal, any, I guess you're saying, like 4.5 years before they get rid of them?
2: Well, I think what it comes down to is that they've, there's always someone ready to take that spot. Like, the next man up mentality comes up, and usually it's just because someone's injured that the next man up has to come up and be ready to go. And... Yeah, like I so said, there's been times where the injuries have sort of played a factor in whether the running back stays or not. But uh, in this case, I really think it just comes down to plan B ends up becoming plan A. As I said, stand back and Stone, they're young, they're healthy. They're probably a lot cheaper than what Tyrell Sutton is. So I think that sort of plays a, a factor into it as well. Um, just like there was a time when Tyrell Sutton was the young man just on the practice r- roster waiting for his his opportunity to shine. And for that to happen, Brandon Whitaker had to get hurt. And Brandon Whitaker was also making a, a decent salary. And eventually he became expendable. Yeah. Avon Cobert before him. Like, mm-hmm. Don't forget, Avon Cobert left in free agency because he was chasing a bigger payday, a lot bigger one than the Alouettes were willing to give him. And the reason why it was, I won't say easy to let him go, but one of the reasons why it didn't hurt as much to let him go was because you had that young stud waiting in the wings of Brandon Whitaker, who played just as well came in relief uh, and played outstanding football and didn't cost as much as what uh, Coburn was wanting. So it's kind of that circle of life where you bring in a quarter, uh, you bring in a running back, you don't know him from a hole in the wall, like where the hell did this guy come from? Because yeah, we said yeah. that about every single one of them. Who the hell's Avon Coburn? Who the hell's Brandon Whitaker? Who the hell's Tyrell Sutton? And now people are probably asking, who the hell's William Stanback? But uh, that seems to be the 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 MO of the Alouettes whether it's Jim Popper Reed as general manager is you get to a certain point with a, a running back and you're almost better to let them go a year too soon than a year too late. And I think that's, what's the case here. Unfortunately for study, his time here in Montreal was up and it's unfortunate because I cannot say enough good things about Tyrell Sutton. I love the guy. He is just a phenomenal person, both on and off the field. And I'm definitely going to miss being able to chat with him on uh, after games, but uh,
1: All right, like we, like we did at there, the, some of the Atwood functions before the beginning of the season. I love talking to him.
2: Exactly. Uh, He's just honest. He's a straight shooter. He has zero Fs to give, and he just makes for a very fun, engaging person to chat with. And BC is definitely getting a gem. They're getting veteran leadership, uh, someone that can help their their running backs as well. Uh, I mean, it's a win-win situation, definitely for the BC Lions. And as far as Montreal goes, yeah, I think... Like i said the 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 Alouettes could have
1: probably gotten a little bit more, but Or given up a little bit less. I mean, what's with all these damn draft picks and and by the way, to be fair to let you let you fans know is that we actually did reach out to quite a few people to try to to try to find out what the actual stipulations were on getting this conditional player for the draft next year. and so far as of taping, we have not been able to find out um if we can update you next week, uh, if we do find out the information, we will do so, but it's it's just I'm curious to know what the stipulations are. By the way, by the way, what you're saying too is I think, and I said this on on social media. I'm standing by this. I think you and I talked about this. This, in my opinion, was a it was a salary dump. Pure and simple. Pure and simple. and I think one of the issues is all all the issues that we've had this year, not only the quarterback paying Johnny Football what they think he is worth. In order to keep him, or uh, I guess, uh, well, they did trade for him. So I guess whatever Hamilton signed him for first, Um, you know, and considering that Sutton did not get the touches this year, you know, I think I think I just go back and check. I'm sure that this is probably one of the worst years when it comes to rushing attempts for the Alowitz in quite a few years. I mean, Sutton, he only had 86 attempts, 86 attempts in nine games, you know, so it's I mean, yes. Okay. Yes, he wasn't the 1,000-yard rusher that we've had before when it came to, you know, consistent with Whitaker and Colburn. I mean, he only had his one one year back in uh, 2015 over 1,000 yards, but he was a dual— and, that's,
2: and, he, and he also led the league in rushing that year, too.
1: Yeah, and he was—yeah, a yeah, that's right. And he, was a, and he was a dual threat, and this is one of the things that we were talking about before. We had, the Alouettes have always had these great running backs who have been a dual threat, not only as a running back, but as a wide receiver on an option— or out of the backfield for, for passing. So the question is, will Stanbeck, Ryder Stone, be up to that also? Will they equal that extra uh that extra option on offense? Will they be avail- available for that?
2: Um and what, and what I'll be looking forward to is their ability to block as well because mm-hmm. that's also been a very key especially but go back to the Anthony Calvillo days, like those those running backs that you mentioned, Coburn and Whitaker, they were excellent blockers. Yeah. They were able to help keep back some of these uh these rushers that were able to try and get their hands on AC. And this is going to be a big test for standback or stone whoever they decide to go with is will they be able to pick up those blocks as well because let's face it with this offensive line being, well, offensive, we're not going to be we we got to be able to keep the quarterback upright at all times. And if it, it kind of falls solely on the responsibility of the running back, but he's got to be able to pitch in and help out with some of these blocks as well to be able to give whoever the quarterback is a chance to get, get rid of the ball. Yeah. So to me, that's what I'm going to be looking for, whether it's Standback or Stone. I want to see which one of these guys steps up and is able to not only be that dual threat that you were talking about, but also be able to block as well. So yeah, that's true. whoever can do that is going to be the running back of the future. And the nice thing is Standback is 24. Stone is 24, I believe as well, almost 25. I mean, these are young guys. Like, we still got... A, good five six years before you get that dreaded 30 stage no no
1: no, no. just to say it like it should be we have another five six years before they get traded or released well there's that too <laughs> so I mean do you, by the way do you agree with me do you this what do you think do you agree with me with saying when I say this is a salary dump I mean cause it, I mean we don't know we don't know where the other stand far as far as the because they have so many players on the sixth game this year it's not going to bother the salary cap in any you know just that doesn't bother the salary cap We've had so many players, and having Johnny football on whatever we're hearing that he's he's making, we know it's we know it's six figures. We just don't know if it's north of two or if, or if it's south. Um, I, I I I I you know this is the this is the one telling thing to me, Cliff, and this is why I think it was a salary dump. If you go and you watch uh, Didier from R RDS's uh, interview today with Kavis Reed, his comment specifically on the trade was. And this um, he goes, BC's offer was pauses there intentionally, by the way, more favorable one that that to me speaks volumes because you know what? Will BC take on his entire salary? Will the Alouettes be taking any still pay be paying any portion of his salary? Again, we don't know what Tyrell is making veteran veteran money, either way, veteran money.
2: And again, as I, I stated before, the CBA ends this year. And Tyrell Sutton signed a one year contract. So he'd be a free agent at the end of the season, anyways, uh, without any guarantee that he'd be even back in Montreal. Uh, Would he have stayed for more money? Would he have, uh, or not, would he have stayed for less money? Would he have wanted to go and try to get that one last payday before he calls it a career? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of variables here, as far as I'm concerned. And I think Montreal just looked at the situation that they have with their two young running backs. Look at the fact that Sutton has been a little bit injury-prone and is past that dreaded 30-year stage of his life. And it's hard to believe saying that, right? <laughs> I, it, it really is. <laughs> but, yeah, uh, uh, again, I, I, I as I said, I get it from a business perspective, from a business point of view, or from a football operations point of view. It's just unfortunate as a fan, though, that... To, to say goodbye to someone that yeah. uh, has been such a big part of this community. yeah. And again, we probably would have been saying goodbye to him at this end of the season anyways. But it's just now at least Montreal was able to try and get something for him. Uh, to me, I just don't understand why you'd have to give up a draft pick as well to I get know, two, I know. two other draft picks. Like,
1: I know. I, I don't, know. Know. I me, don't I, get it. I, I, and think about this. If Montreal... If what don't doesn't meet these or, or study doesn't re- meet these qualifications to get this conditional player, we walk around with what we walk, we get back one less player. Mm-hmm. I don't get that. And and obviously, we know with draft picks, draft picks, we know how when it comes to draft picks, the, the good and the bad of draft picks, you know. So, it's true. Yeah. Uh, it, it, but, it,
2: let's, let's face it, too. Montreal does not have a first round draft pick in 2019 because of Tyler Johnstone. But now they have two second round picks. So in a sense, one of those will be almost like a first round pick. Right.
1: At least that's I, yeah. At least
2: that's the hope, anyways. A lot will of course depend on how Montreal finishes the season. But no doubt they'll be within the top three as far as draft order goes. Yeah. So now if uh, BC two also uh, depends on where they end up because they were looking pretty shaky for uh, a good part of the season. But now they're starting to catch yeah. catch a little bit of fire. So God only knows how that's going to turn out. So. I mean, conceivably, you could have two picks in the second round, like the first five positions in the second round. So it may not be too bad, actually, in that sense. Like you, you're still going to get very quality, a very high quality player in the second round, but now you have two of them to consider. So, provided you're, you you draft the right players and you do your your homework to make sure you get the the right fit in Montreal, uh-huh. it could be. I'm I'm trying to put as positive a spin on this as possible, but. You, can't, you definitely can't replace like the heart and soul that uh, Tyrell Sutton has. But if you end up drafting perhaps a, a futures player that could end up being the next Tyrell Sutton, then that could also work out too as well. I mean, that's the thing with the draft. You just never know. But no. at least you're putting yourself in a position to potentially better the team and get them younger as well, which has always been one of the big criticisms about Montreal lately is that they're an older team. Yes. Well, now they're going to the youth movement again now they're focusing on their two young under 25 running backs so now maybe this is just a sign of things to come where now that you're starting to see a lot of the older players either if they don't take their retirement or sign somewhere else in free agency then they may end up being traded yeah
1: um, the game this week uh has uh it is the first sunday game at percival molson i'm so happy for that but by, by the way um the Riders are at a reasonably favored seven and a half points uh, with an over under of 48 It's gone as low as six or started at six and it's gone from there um, I know w- one thing we wanted to mention is that about the Alouettes is playoffs because we have to we have to at least mention it because it's something you asked me and we were able to get the information from Steve Daniel on on them and and I think the I don't think the CFLs put out their playoff scenarios this week yet but there is still a possibility that they can win, uh, that they can get into the playoffs. And what what was the information? Do you have it in front of you, Cliff, what uh, what Steve mentioned to us?
2: Yes, I will, and I will read it verbatim. Because the the question I asked was, despite the fact that the Alouettes are essentially going to have another losing season, could they still, mathemat- like, mathematically, they have not been eliminated from the playoffs. Could they still make the playoffs? And they said, uh, Steve had told us that they would indeed. If they can get more, again, if they go five and zero, they'll they they stand to make a very, stand a very good chance to make the playoffs. Even if they don't quite go five and zero, that's not too bad either, because as long as you beat Toronto, the two games that you're going to be playing them, you'll win that season series. And provided too that the fourth place team doesn't get eight wins in the West, in the West, I should say, uh, that would eliminate the crossover possibility, which would of course mean the first place team, of course, gets the bye. And then second and third play each other in the semifinals. So if Montreal Montreal completely controls their own destiny, but they've got to win football games. That's all there is to it. They cannot luck out. They cannot hope and pray that everybody else falls apart because they need help to get into the playoffs. There still is a chance to get into the playoffs. It's a, a bit of a long shot, but mathematically they can still make the playoffs. But they've got to win football games, especially you're playing two games against Toronto. One game against Hamilton. Saskatchewan, uh, Calgary. Saskatchewan, Calgary. And again, the the, the game against Calgary is going to be in Montreal, which Calgary typically never seems to play well in because by that point they've already had a playoff spot sewn up, if not the, the entire division sewn up. So maybe they start resting a lot of their starters and maybe we don't see a lot of those guys and you never know what could happen. Uh, that's, that's the funny thing with Calgary playing in Montreal is that it's not as guaranteed a win as one would expect. Yeah. So I mean, if Montreal could figure out if they can find a way to get past the Riders with the W, get those wins against Toronto, fluke out and get a win against Calgary, and maybe even beat Hamilton for the la- in the last game of the season. I mean, provided all these other things fall into place, yeah, Montreal could still, in theory, with an eight and ten record, make the playoffs, and maybe not even at eight and ten, maybe even at seven. And 11 which i had predicted at the start of the season that this team would go 7 and 11 yeah and that's still a very much a possibility and i can't imagine that would be enough to get into a playoffs position but like i said if all these other things sort of fall into place it is conceivable it is possible and maybe we're just hoping against hope but uh i mean mathematically as i said the possibility is right there
1: yeah uh, i guess johnny football needs to do his best uh jonathan crompton imitation.
2: Yes. <laughs> If he wants to grow out the hair, I'm all for that too.
1: Whatever. I don't know if his wife would like that. Um, <laughs> but honey, it's the playoffs. I know, I know. So what uh, what, what do the owls have to do this week to, to beat the riders? I know we talked about it a little bit with Rod before, but uh, what what do we see? I think for us I think it's the O line needs, needs to control the sacks. The the Alouettes themselves, the sell themselves, the defense needs to take control. It needs to take them to task, their O line to task, because the city got the one, you know, the worst two teams in the league when it comes to giving up sacks um, and penalties down. And I'm curious to see if they can continue with what they did with with the running backs and with the with the amount of, of touches that they gave them. I will be happy with that. But I think most importantly, you gotta score touchdowns. Obviously, you gotta score touchdowns because uh. Kicking field goals. If the Owls are held to just field goals, I don't. I don't see this this uh, this this game going very well for the Owls.
2: Neither do I. And you're absolutely right. I think the defense for sure is going to have to put as much pressure as possible on Zach Caleros because you, again, he has not played typically very well in Montreal. Got to take advantage of that. Uh, like I said, when he when he's on, he is on. He is definitely one of the top quarterbacks in the league. But you just get get in his kitchen and rattle his cage a little bit. It, it it shows uh, he can get rattled very easily. And if Montreal is able to do that, that'll help tremendously. Uh, again, the, no name in Roosevelt this week. So uh, a couple other receivers are going to have to step in for the riders. And uh, if Montreal's DBs can just take advantage of that, uh, just win those key matchups. And if that front seven, the front seven of Montreal can just get as much pressure as possible and just force Zach Caleros to make as many mistakes as he can, I definitely think this defense could definitely steal this game from Montreal because, yeah, the offense, we definitely need them to step up. Uh, the running game has to improve tremendously. They, they we, we saw a glimpse of what could happen against Winnipeg, and if they can just sort of build on that, so much the better. But uh, you're absolutely right. Touchdowns have to be scored by whether you run them in, whether it's goal line stand, I don't care what it takes. I mean, in a perfect world, Johnny Manziel finds his form and he's throwing five touchdowns like he was doing back at Texas A&M. But realistically, I'd just be happy if he can throw one or two and just just get touchdowns on the board because field goals will not win this game. You will not beat the Saskatchewan Roughriders as they stand right now just by kicking field goals. It's just not going to happen.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um other than that the the Alouettes do have a couple more things scheduled for this week it is tackle hunger game a uh, tackle yeah tackle hunger the tackle hunger game is that a movie um <laughs> <laughs> uh do not forget to bring your perishables and money uh to uh, donate uh to the tackle uh peer tackle hunger uh, initiative uh I, I think the gray cup will be there too so you can have a picture taken with the gray cup um Also, we have to at least mention because we mentioned it last year and we didn't get crap for it. Uh, Do not forget, if you don't know already, that there will be a flyby again this week by the Royal Canadian Air Force's CT-155 Hawks. That's right. And um, don't 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 call, you know, don't call the news. You're not being attacked. It's just the Alouettes. Exactly. Um, yeah.
2: Um, anything. Let's else? not forget it, it. It's Military Appreciation Day, yes, so if, that too. As a result, the Alouettes will be wearing their uh, signature uniforms. The of uh, the uh, the ones that pay tribute to the four twenty five squadron, which they are named after. Is that what you've heard?
1: I I didn't see that anywhere.
2: Uh, yeah, the the team itself had mentioned that.
1: Oh, didn't even see that. Okay. And that may be reason why because we know in uh, a couple of reports today that the Alouettes will not be wearing. Doesn't seem to be. They'll be wearing their normal. Um, uh, four twenty five helmets uh, they may be wearing these n- interesting new other helmets which seem to just have uh, uh, blue numbers and a blue stripe on them with the, the white shell so mm-hmm. um, yeah i I wonder when they were when they were gonna do this but I'm not surprised that they'll be wearing their signature uniforms or whatever they're calling them now um, also just want to make sure that uh that we at the uh, at the flight deck do give a uh, a a giant get well soon to Herb Zerkowski, uh who has uh, gone through a, a, a procedure this past week uh, in order to remove uh, some cancer. Um, Herb, we just want to make sure that you get you get well soon, and we hope to see you in the in the press box very very soon. That's uh, uh, anybody who's gone and known somebody who's gone through. Uh, dealing with cancer we know it's not fun um, but uh, again Herb uh, can't wait to see you back in the press box and uh, see your writing again uh, in the Gazette So, um, any, any other thing that I missed Cliff I don't think I missed anything else uh, no uh, I'll just tell everybody that uh, you can find us all on social media uh,
2: just head on over to Twitter and you can find us at Alouette's FL deck or head on over to our Facebook page at facebook.com slash flight deck and you can find us The best place to find us for all of our archives, for all of our episodes here of the Flight Deck, head on over to www.alouettesflightdeck.ca or tune your media players to us. You just go through Alouette's Flight Deck. You can find us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and Spotify. Perfect.
1: So we will see. Uh, speak to you guys next week, Cliff. I will see you at the game. Hell, you're sitting in my seats, so I, I better be seeing you. Um,
2: <laughs> yeah, now you get to be the bougie one that uh, goes uh, with the upgraded seats. That's so uh, it.
1: We'll to do it. It snob nose again. I tell you, like at the beginning of the show, snob knows. Uh, so yeah. So uh, enjoy the game. Make sure everybody watches the weather. Not sure what the weather's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a little cool. Actually, it's like. Uh, We've been so used to all these warm days uh, in Montreal, but uh, make sure you bundle up. It may rain before the beginning of the game, but uh, either way, have fun uh, at the game this weekend. So for everybody here at the Alouettes Flight Deck, for Cliffy i I'm Tim Capper. We're on Final Approach.